0: And welcome, everyone, back to Thunderdome Metal Reviews for when we get high, we get high on speed. I am the Reverend Dangerously. With me, as always, are Gabriel Cooper, Tracy, the Chicken Slaughter in Newport, and the Dr. David Pizzo. Gentlemen, are you ready to kickstart my heart?
1: Yes. I mean, I'm the one they call Dr. Feelgood. So...
2: (laughs) You know, just a bit of a rattlesnake shake. Just a bit. Brought to you by steak and shake
3: let let me remind you let me remind you that um everything changes it does indeed (laughs) you know but it's the
1: same old situation
2: if you really think it is the same old
3: situation but everything changes
2: it's
0: just sticky sweet sticky sweet indeed so if you haven't figured it out by now we are doing what is uh, considered a classic in the land of glam slash hair metal motley cruz dr Feel Good." It is their fifth studio album. It was recorded at Little Mountain Studios in Vancouver, Canada. It was released on Elektra. The producer was Bob Rock. I add, incidentally, that it was his performance on this album that got him the Metallica job. The runtime on this album is 45 minutes and 7 seconds. The band at the time of recording were Vince Neil, lead in backing vocals, rhythm, guitar, harmonica, and shakers. Mick Mars, lead guitar and backing vocals. Nikki Sixx on bass for everything but time for change. Backing vocals and organ on time for change, piano on time for change, Tommy Lee drums and backing vocals. The additional musicians were Bob Rock, who played bass on time for change and did background vocals on a plethora of songs. John Webster, who played the piano on rattlesnake shake and keyboard on some other things. Tommy Keenley side, Ian Putz, Ross Gregory, Henry Christian, who did the margarita horns on rattlesnake shake. And then a bajillion people who did background vocals on this, including people like Steven Tyler and Brian Adams, which I thought was very interesting. And then pretty much the entire band, Skid Row, who did backing vocals on Time for Change, which I'm sure we will talk about at some point. I selected this album mainly because I wanted to subject Tracy to some glam. What did you guys think?
1: Yeah,
2: Tracy... I grew up on a heavy dose of classic rock and ninety-eight local, 98.3 classic rock. So, Glam Metal is not something I'm unfamiliar with. I've built up with quite a uh, the antibodies for it throughout my life.
1: But this was a concentrated dosage, right? This yeah, was, it was,
2: a it was a concentrated dosage. And you know what? My best friend growing up was named after lead singer in this band. So, his mom... <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! I didn't know that about him. Oh, that is great. That
1: is a lot to take in, Tracy.
2: Yep, she fucking loved Monte Cruz, so I got good doses of it growing up. I think she even had a Monte Cruz license plate, similar to David Sepultura license plate. So this was not something okay. unfamiliar to me.
1: <laughs> That's like a whole ass lot, Tracy. But did you feel it? It's, you know, it's before your time. I, mean,
2: I felt it, and you know, there are a lot of songs to the album I already knew, so this wasn't something. Sure. And like I knew quite a bit of Motley Crue, but it's a lot of the greatest hits selection. I never have sat down and listened to Motley Crue start to finish.
1: Well, here it is. It is. I you know, glam, I really was hearing glam at the same time that I discovered what I would call actual metal. So glam pretty much like, there was a little, I was like a, sort of into Guns and Roses, but then I started listening to fucking Slayer and, you know, Rust and Pace or whatever, because that was all sort of right around the same time. And so I was done with this shit. But I will say this, this was the album. I'm like, okay, all right. When I heard Dr. Feelgood, it was like just heavy enough that I tolerated it. So this was the like in my thoroughly thrash drugged self back in 1990 this was the one that i was like this and i guess guns and roses because by the time you got into white lion uh white tiger white tusk whatever i just i couldn't join you in that nelson like there was no bottom in this genre so uh i also want to add that since then i've seen fucking biopics and other things about these assholes and that's, that's, i don't a great word oh my god <laughs> like i mean Vitz killed a guy like it's just it's a it's a whole lot their he life did that's that's my two sets so I was very familiar with this album it was one of the few glam albums I really interacted with because I thought it was like heavy enough that it wasn't totally for posers on like poison so that's just who I was what do you mean to say Dave? once you found thrash
3: man it's, it's done it was all over from there that makes sense um, so this was the first time that I'd willingly subjected myself to a substantial amount of uh, glam metal or hair metal or whatever you want to call it. Um, my familiarity with this music I think goes back to maybe uh, if you remember back on TV in like the early to mid 90s they used to have like infomercials for these compilations of different kinds like you know this is hard rock whatever that you know whatever they call it and you'd see the occasional uh, hair metal like sort of power ballad. I guess there was one, one of just power ballads on it but anyway so you'd see the occasional air metal band pop up and that's where i heard this kind of music for the first time and i i have to say i was never drawn to it not once um but um that said it might be a generational thing too um you know uh (laughs) it was just barely in elementary school when this came out so uh it would not have hit me at the appropriate time i don't think
0: Oh, this is great for babies, young children. Yeah. This uh...
3: is definitely meant
0: for that. Um, and I don't think I said when it came out, it was released on September 1st of 1989. Yes, it was. So, um, which I was roughly... 13, right? 13, yeah, at the time that this came out. Um, I agree with a lot of what David said in that Motley Crue actually... It's kind of funny because thinking back, I always conflate Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses in my head a little bit, and Guns N' Roses always felt more dangerous. But I guess Motley Crue actually was more dangerous. I think that's accurate.
1: <laughs> I mean, they may not have killed as many people in terms of people crushed to death. Because sure, of sure. Axl Rose's poor choices, but yes, in terms of like friends of yours, this, these were not
0: people you wanted to hang around with. You were going to die. No, and um, there is a, for lack of a better term, and I think that they would appreciate this dirtiness to this sound that I oh, appreciate. Yeah. Um, you know, because a lot of that stuff, Poison is okay. Poison has some songs that I like, but a lot of that glam stuff, especially as we get out of the 70s where it's kind of like the glam punk thing with T-Rex and the New York Dolls and stuff like that, and really get kind of get into the big glam of the 80s. Man, it, it does. It it's, they were they were packing people into stadiums. They were selling tons of albums and the they were um support for the bands was very much had a better gendered split than I would say thrash did. Oh god, but, yes. But um yeah, uh but this was this was the the glam that the metal guys could still listen to. Exactly. So um was, i this um, was oh go ahead tracy
2: oh no i was gonna say i'll let you finish your thought first it's probably more pertinent to what i was gonna say
0: no all i also want to say was that this is probably i mean i'd heard some of their other stuff but i think this was the album that i really kind of got into it on and then like went back in time to some of their earlier stuff um, i'd probably heard girls 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 a million times by then but um and then later on uh, when i started working as a bouncer in strip clubs and hanging out in strip clubs man i heard it ton of these fucking songs um them Def Leppard all kinds of other like glam shit so that's all I have to say yeah
1: I just want to tack on there that you know Mick Mars is just playing is fucking sick yeah. just in terms of like the riffs are real so even if you're coming from a, like I love Anthrax so much you're like oh okay I mean, it was enough, like Guns and Roses. I mean, they were sort of the yeah. heaviest. And given the rest of what was on G105, which is what I was listening to in Durham, North Carolina, it was some heavy shit, right, to have this come on or, like, November Rain or whatever a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, uh, you know, I has it aged well? I don't know, y'all. Uh, then some I was of it 12. has some of it hasn't, yeah. Oh, yeah, some of it, I don't know. Well, we'll get into that, I'm sure, well, as we yeah. talk about it. More. I was...
2: Well, that kind of brings me to what I was going to say is Please. I don't think we've had such an over the top band that we reviewed since like Nashville Pussy, like a year ago, of just like, hey, it's all about fucking puss dicks and that and pussies. That's all it's about.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. Yes.
2: I mean,
1: LA, I get it. And I see uh, the same old situation video. I, I know what went on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the only thing that like, isn't overtly about sex, I think, on this album is "Kickstart My Heart,"
0: which is about a heroin overdose. Yeah. So, so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if I mean, could I, uh, just, yeah, yeah, please, if I could just maybe divert a little bit and return to the music here, like, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I have to take Ben's word for it, and he says this is the uh sort of the glam band that uh metalheads could actually get into um you know for me this is it's just party music you know it doesn't say anything else mm-hmm. to me than party music and it doesn't surprise me that they'd be playing this kind of stuff in strip clubs um it feels much more hard rock and blues to me than it does metal uh that may be just my bias it also just feels pretty commercial. You know, it, it's not doing anything that is super interesting or new for that time, to, to my to my ears. Um, you are
0: uh, correct on all accounts, my man. Um, but this is this is a time, though, and it's kind of, it seems kind of funny to be talking about 89, but this is still a time when metalheads were still really riding and dying with ACDC, which we're going to be doing a blast of. I mean, the, the heavy metal had not so far divorced itself from hard rock that it the two not. were incompatible. As yet, yeah,
1: that was beginning. I mean, this is the yeah. whole, literally, the arc into extreme metal. But yeah, I think there was a lot of overlap in this phase.
2: Yeah, like wasn't thrash almost a counterpunch towards the glam metal? Oh God, ladies? yes, yes. In the same and way, so the like,
1: black metal would be against death metal, and death metal was against thrash. Yes, yeah.
2: And so, like, I think that all, for a light like comparison, I can compare Motley Crue to at this time is the Five Finger Death Punch. Yeah,
0: that's fair. Uh,
3: I, yeah, probably so. Probably <laughs> yeah, probably so. Sorry, I yeah. It's hard to call that party music, but I haven't listened to all that much of it. So maybe well, it's just
2: like, it's, I don't even really say like they definitely have a party vibe to them, but it's not that. It's the accessibility yeah. of this for yeah, the yeah. traditional non metal
3: fans to accept it. I get it. Uh,
0: yeah. 100%. That. I mean, but we have to remember that this was also at a time uh, pre Nirvana when you could actually. Thing about being a rock star and the excessive lifestyle, and not be considered a raging dickhole. So, even if you were one, the very last moment, though, right? This is yeah. the with yeah.
1: hindsight, this is the Rococo moment of that decadence and access. Because between yeah. the thrash rejecting them and then Nirvana, yeah, it's just the whole thing shifts in the 90s. Uh, part of this, of course, is I want to point out, one, L.A. being completely fucking insane, which is also what gave us slayer, but also just the decadent excess of the 80s. I mean, 100%. This, this, I want to point out this music is extremely part of that. And also, on the one hand, it's literally about just like a bag of chicks smacking ass, but then it's also Glam was in this very interesting way transgressive in terms of mm-hmm. like makeup and... In a way that's very un 80s. I, I, I was pondering, Rob and I were talking about that. Well, in terms of the Reaganaut. Sure. Public, a yeah, mainstream, yeah, a of, mainstream, geez, certainly. I mean, yeah. yeah. For sure. But, yeah, that, yeah. but 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 no, I know that was just LA being LA, but that that became mainstream by 89 is a really interesting, both sort of reinforcing of Reaganaut, use your you know, stock option machine gun arm insane cocaine insanity but then also this you know transgressive weird la mm-hmm. shit
0: well it, it's so interesting but she you, and you've already mentioned it not to get into songs already but like same old situation i mean that's mm-hmm. a song about like dude's girlfriend leaving him for another woman but it's not disparaging lesbian relationships really you know um so uh, for the time sure. as, as you pointed out um does it age well well we'll talk about it but you know it, it was um Especially for the milu, you know, where it was at, where it was coming from. That was, it was something else. Um, I do agree that with Gabe that there is nothing groundbreaking on this, but I have to say it's like a heavy blues band um, that, you know, uh, for all you can say about Tommy Lee, dude, is a pretty fucking decent drummer. Is. um and nikki six wrote most of the songs and it's a pretty good basis the the yes. weak link in this is vince neil's voice which was kind of getting shot at this point yeah it was breaking
1: a little bit uh i this album also reminded me of bob rock both being a good producer and being a complete fucking tool woman well, uh, <laughs> like all the shit he that you see in that video about the making of black album he tried to get them to do is this album I'm like damn it
0: bob rock like, that's... Oh, well, the thing I love about this is the fact that he basically, <laughs> this is at a, a chrysalis point where everybody in the band was trying to get sober and realized they yes. fucking hated each other. So they had to record all their yes. parts individually.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's this. they were trying to turn their lives around at this juncture. And uh, I mean, when you're shooting Jack Daniels into yourself, like it just
0: through phlebotomy means, like that's. Yes. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, these dudes lived the gimmick uh, to borrow... Oh, they channels, did. They sure. did. No, they did. I will grant them that.
2: Songs? Well, oh,
0: go ahead.
1: Sorry. I was gonna say, who
2: did Rebel Yell? Okay.
0: That was Billy Idol.
2: Yeah, like, I mean, he even openly stated that he became a musician to live the rock star life, and I'm pretty sure wouldn't be surprised if it's a similar fact for these guys in this band. I mean, oh. yeah.
1: I mean, well, I think it varied. I think um, the guitarist was quite serious and was older than them and in other bands had like a degenerative bone disease. disease. That's what I said. It was like on borrowed time. So again, I wish I'd seen a biopic about Lamb of God and a biopic about Acid Bath, but I've seen a biopic about these assholes and that made me go down a Wikipedia hall. So yeah, part of them, I'm sure, I think you're right, Tracy. To a certain degree, they were partiers. Um, But I feel like... You know, at least, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Mick Mars was serious mm. as fucking cancer about music. Yeah. And I think it shows in terms of the, you know, how professional, the writing on this album is. And the execution is compared to, man, are we going to line this up against Poison or Nelson? Um, we'll do some of them at some point. White Maybe Lion. Not Nelson, Cinderella. Poison. Cinderella. <laughs> is that a
3: threat? is that a threat Yeah, it
0: is it's totally a threat well i mean you know uh, to to gabe's point a lot of those bands are decent like hard rock blues bands it's just you know they're not really metal and you know they never pretended to be and again this is straddling that line between hard rock and heavy metal um go ahead tracy
2: i was gonna say you also gotta take into consideration this is mid to late 80s is when this is going on this isn't going on in 2012 where cannibal corpse has already been in the system for 20 years and that's And Venom Blackout Black Metal hasn't been out for thirty years. Like this is still before those those groundbreaking albums and new genres have seeped into the fabric of metal itself.
1: All of that. The interesting thing, of course, is almost that it happened because Alter of Madness. Uh what's that first cannibal corpse strewn for a quarter of a mile or even back to life? Like those albums are literally right at the same time as this. So it's yeah eighty-nine ninety is such an interesting... it's like thrash's high point. I think it's glam's high point, I think it's death metal's birth. This is like a bunch of
3: vent yeah. Diagrams. I mean, so I understand that. that that metal uh as we know it now is does not exist at this point in time. But what I'm saying is this is totally safe and, and vapid. It has oh, nothing yes. to do Definitely with vapid. uh, you know any boundary stretching you can maybe say the makeup is kind of transgressive on the men but pretty much everything else about the views that they express are completely regressive i mean like it's not uh (laughs) like if if you're going to try to argue that they're like look they're pushing the envelope but they're pushing like a very small one if at all like if you're talking about okay this is like the reagan years and you know you have a lot of sort of uh conservative backlash like you could push the envelope by doing very, very little uh, in terms of the Good. topics that you're addressing. Um, yeah. They happen to be doing it on a certain level of like, uh, you know, sexual excess and maybe the, the partying stuff, but um, but otherwise it's not sort of, I don't know.
1: I think uh, their agenda uh, is much more hedonism than politics.
0: It
3: yeah, 100% oh yeah. is. And I will,
0: I will only push back on the map, but even though I agreed with it in the sense that they were writing about their own addictions, at least in some of the songs, not all of them, because a lot of these songs are just your, like, man, let's write a song about being in the strip club. And it's probably their 15th fucking song if we looked at their entire discography about being in a fucking strip club. So I do agree with that. Um, but there is a there is at least an effort put into on some of the songs in this album of Mickey Six trying to address some of his own demons, whether he's uh, achieves that, whether he's doing it seriously, who's to say? But um it does show some growth as opposed to again to reference it and we may or may not ever do this album, but girls, 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 where it's just like look at all the fucking strip clothes and all strip clubs and all the strippers we've seen, as opposed to that song.
2: Here's my favorite strip club, this particular song.
0: Yeah. Rap um, Michaels. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: And it's you know, we've kind of talked about their transgressions, but it's also an aspect you gotta talk about like the transgressionist of like a Sister who kind of took it up to 11 or like, let's make it even crazier and run with this. It's hard to forget it?
0: it for a long time because i mean like if you look back at pantera's albums before phil joined the band they look like these guys they do look at slayers really early stuff they looked like these guys they're from the same scene i know yeah. but i'm just saying like, they're
1: playing like right down the road from them at the same fucking time And when yeah. they're coming
2: well, up i, I want to make the statement that even after phil had joined these guys for an album they looked like these guys you're right they did you're
0: right Yeah. yep yeah, yeah. before they broke and with the callos from hell
2: before uh yeah they power metal and um What's so yeah, God into their veins
3: again. I don't. I don't know enough about this band to know what they were doing with with you know putting on makeup and wearing like long hair and sort of that aspect of it. Like you could do that also and call it like appropriation of drag. Um, it's that great. is where it came to from, me, right? Sure. So to me, so to me, it's like uh, I don't know. Uh, well, it doesn't indicate any sort of progressiveness. It doesn't mean, it, indicate any kind of like. Actually, challenging anything—it's mainly just cashing in on shock value.
2: Well, I think that's part of it. Was the shock value, and you know, sure. you don't know much. I think you can't actually talk about glam metal without talking about their hair. And this is where, like, thrash even still, like oh thrash, had still wear skinny jeans, and like, like they kind of pulled that from this scene aspect. Of they were.
0: It transitioning out of it a little bit by this era. Now, if you look at like some of the earlier 80s stuff, they had like the big teased hair and everything. But um, if you go back and I might actually have you guys watch a video from this era later on, both um, Nikki and Tommy were basically sporting the same hairdo that um, Jason Newsted from Metallica had at this era. So it was kind of transitioning out of the overtly super teased, super Um, leaning on makeup and hairspray and all this stuff, at least for this particular band, by 89. Go back three years earlier to 86, completely different story. Go back even earlier to that to 83, completely different story. And I do think a lot of that is coming out, as Gabe rightly pointed out, to the glam scene in Studio 54 and that crossover where punk and, um, um, crap, I'm forgetting the the genre. Um, disco we're meeting, and what is evolving out of that. But anyway, shall we talk about songs? Let's do it. Oh, look at this list of songs, for those of you who are, are watching. Actually, if you're listening on Spotify, you can now watch the videos, because we have been uploading videos to Spotify. Although, fuck Spotify's political stance. Anyhow, Um, uh, I will go first. Dr. Feel Good is a great fucking song. Kickstart my heart. Great fucking song. Without You, decent power ballad. Same old situation I really like. Uh, Don't Go Away, Mad. Just Go Away. Also, I think it's a great song. Time for Change, um, second power ballad on the album. Also pretty good. Also fitting in this political moment. I will have to say, though, (laughs) that Sebastian Bach from Skid Row fucking slays Vince on that as the backing vocalist, and I appreciate that level of, fuck you, I'm gonna show off, so.
2: I mean, it helps when he's a better vocalist anyways, but.
0: Sure, but it's also his voice wasn't shot, and he was just like, oh yeah? Vince, you want me to sing back up? I'll sing back up.
2: (laughs) Uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh, I agree with Ben. I think Dr. Feelgood is really a great opener. TNT, I think, does a good job leading into that. Uh Kickstart My Heart. I that, I really enjoy that song. Same old Situation. Uh and Time for Change is a pretty good power battle ballad. And they do a good job, I think, on every couple album on every album they have a couple of power ballads on them.
0: David Agate.
1: I really do view this like even candy at the movie theater. Like, this is like, (laughs) this is like food at the state fair, is how I feel. Motley Crew, it doesn't really have any nutritional content. And I, yeah, I don't think it's pushing almost any message other than party party. But you know, it is fun. You got to admit, the ride is fun. Dr. Feel Good is an awesome song. That was the one that sold me that. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll give this a try. I feel like, um, Slicier Pie has some interesting weird stuff towards the end of the song where they go into like minor chords and stuff. And I wish they did more of that. I'm like, this is starting to sound almost like Alice in Chains. And I'd forgotten they ever sounded like that. Like, because that wasn't one of the songs that was on the radio, you know? It was yeah. like, kicks out like my heart. So some of the non-radio moments in the album are, in, are actually fairly interesting. Um, you know, and then I remember, almost all the rest of these I remember from the radio. Time for Change, I feel like, is the poor cousin of... Winds of Change by Scorpions, but maybe wasn't. Him.
3: Rainbow, I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, I was going to say. At least you beat all. It, 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 it's not even. It's not even that. If there's probably another ballad that is like trying to be Winds of Change, and this one is copying that one. What's so copying <laughs> um, that one? It's a, yeah,
0: it's a copy of a copy of a copy.
3: So I don't know about that, but yeah. Also, I, I got the was, lyrics wrong. It's 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 nothing stays
1: the same. Nothing stays the same. So you know, there's some fun <laughs> moments on here. Uh, it's politically regressive. It's it really is just straight party music. But you know, if you're gonna have a pool party and be a complete idiot, uh, it's they're they're here for you. They will they will bring you to bring you to harbor in that situation. Yeah, Probably with Jack Daniels of, in your veins. But. I was
0: about to say they showed up with a case of Jack Daniels and some Coke. To the uh, yeah. and I don't mean the liquid kind, so
1: yeah. So it is it does exactly what it was designed to do.
0: Yeah. That, that's what I'm to say. Dude, I heard, I'm sorry, game to cut you off before you get give yours, but slash of your pie, sticky sweet, and she goes down. I heard so goddamn many times in a strip club. And it's just like, they are the, and that's what they're meant for, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. uh, yes. one last thing I, I do think for this genre of music, slash of your pie is better than Warren's cherry pie. You're my listener. I think that,
1: I think that is accurate as well. Also, pretty low bar, but there's no bottom to this genre that's the thing from here it just slopes downhill quickly
3: so i liked some of the same songs you all did um i enjoyed dr feel good i enjoyed uh Kiss on my heart rattlesnake shake is also kind of decent and without you i definitely thought it was uh not terrible as a power ballad but i think after that it goes downhill pretty quick um yeah and i had the same thought that david did about time for change um the lyrics just aren't very good, but um, and it's obvious that they they aren't singing that because I don't know they're actually excited about I don't know the fall of communism or something like that. It's just you know they're cashing in on that. So, um,
0: it's was a political moment to make some money,
1: <laughs> right? Abe certified not terrible. That's what the label says on "Without You." I got a I got a <laughs> feeling that's what it's going to say.
3: Um, <laughs> I was, was- surprised. I was surprised when i heard it i was just like this is actually not too bad <laughs> yeah supposedly without you was written
0: as nikki Six's ode to uh him going into rehab and he had to find a how- higher power and self-help and so instead of turning to god or anything like that he turned to the the woman who had been with him through the entire thing uh, how true that is i don't know that's just the rumor that i heard about it anyway it is time to grade this I selected it, so I will go first. I think that this is an album from a time when you didn't have to have all solid songs on it. Um, I think it's a B+. Plus. I think it's an excellent album. I, I really like a lot of the songs. A lot of the songs are also filler, so it's about half and half there. But the tracks that I really like are... I mean, part of it is probably because I was coming of age at the time this, this was released, so it's just a little bit of a nostalgia bump, but I do think that it's an excellent album. I'm going to come in just a hair lower at a B for many of the same reasons. I
1: just, it's really empty calories. <laughs> I don't, it's, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, they got me on nostalgia too, so I will give this a B.
2: I'm right there with David. Nostalgia, empty calories. It's sticky sweet.
3: well i'm the odd one out again i think uh this is for hardcore fans only i mean i think you have to be a fan of either this band or this genre to really enjoy the whole thing i liked a couple of the tracks but i really had to force myself a little bit to get through it a couple times um and uh you know they that's okay it's probably just not for me
0: right on so what does that give us the aggregate score tracy
3: that gives Perfect. us an accurate
2: score of eighty-four. Now, would you buy it?
0: I did at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> that's
1: a, yeah, yeah. I had
2: it, I, I had the tape. <laughs> that's what I, I had it on tape
1: because that's where Tron was living in nineteen eighty-nine yeah. with my my Walkman on the bus.
2: Uh, I would not buy it.
1: I wouldn't now, probably, but I did then.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to own a copy of the entire album when I can now just pull the songs I like off onto a playlist,
2: but. I owned a couple like their early 2000 greatest hits album that had a sick love song on it. But other than that, I don't think I'd buy anything else from them.
0: That rashes to you, Gabe.
3: I mean, if I, were, if, I were gonna, if I were opening a strip club, I'd definitely download a couple of these songs. it is. Yeah, there it is. But, but yeah, what's the intended use? Yeah.
2: He does have a basement that... for a reason. Basement. <laughs> the, the, the club is just called The Basement. The Basement. <laughs> the basement. They probably played at
0: a club called The Basement in their day. They would. And, oh, <laughs> shit. All right. Oh, so uh, what are we doing the
2: next time, Tracy? Next, we're looking at David's pick in Lime God's 2012 release, Resolution.
0: Fucking strong fuck yes. album cover. Fuck yes. And
1: on iTunes, I told you some of them are animated. Now this one's animated so it's raining down fucking ash on the viewer. Oh, like that me. fire is burning and ash is coming down on you in the manner of Kuwait in, what, April of 1991 when it all looked like that?
0: Yeah. Shit,
1: dude.
0: Hey anyway um we go from one extreme to the other yes uh, do. not the band um but thank you for listening and uh, rattlesnake shake your way into the next episode of thunderdome metal reviews uh